Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne, and with me as always is Liam Billingham, and today's film is Demolition Man. It's Die Hard in a future shock satire. Phil, yes, I've been meaning to, to say something to you for a while, and, and I couldn't find the words until... I saw this film, and those words are, You're still addicted to the 20th century, high from its harshness, buzzed by its brutality. Yes, I definitely felt seen and heard you felt seen by, <laughs> by and heard in the movie. Uh, the Sandra Bullock's character in this film as someone that refuses to live in, in, the, in the current society where they exist and wants to escape to the, the 90s. You know what I felt seen in, speaking of escape to the 90s, is the book written by our guest, Nick Dissemlian. The book is Last Action Heroes. He joined us to talk about Demolition Man. I, as you'll hear us say when we talk to him in a minute, I love this book. It's my favorite book of 2023. I've had people reach out to me about the book and said, have you read this book? We got sent galleys of the book. We got to read it early because we're cool podcasters. And it, it's so exciting that we have him on the show. Yeah, I, I, it was just a crazy meeting of minds uh, mm -hmm. to have Nick. I mean, this book is so in our, you know, in our wheelhouse. It is everything. It's in our cryo prison. It is. It's Well, it's everything that we're interested in, right? About taking action movies seriously, about a fascination with some of the nostalgia um, of this time, about these iconic larger than life uh, figures that were involved, Bruce Willis, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Van Damme, Seagal, even Chuck Norris, you know, Jackie Chan, you know, some very, you know, iconic titans of the, of the genre. But what Nick unearths in his book is there's so much more to these people and to this to this time period than than most people might be aware of even if you're like hardcore action movie junkies like us there it was so revelatory and so insightful and such a delightful easy read yet still a very substantive important book about this time clearly written by someone that has a, a deep love of action action cinema so we were thrilled to have him well he's also been writing it at empire for for years and years right he's he's sort of a yeah a not of only a... is he an incredible author and and he also wrote this other great book wild and crazy guys about the the comedy stars of of, of the 80s he's, he's just his day job is being the editor of one of the biggest movie magazines in the entire world if not the biggest empire magazine so it's an absolute coup to have him on and yeah we're excited to uh, to get into it with him. Well, without further ado, let's go to our conversation with Nick DeSemlian. Tell us about this book. What made you write it? What's it about? And why should our listeners go out and, and order a copy immediately? Which we recommend that they do. 
Well, thank you very much. I, I mean, I, let me quote the great man Jean-Claude Van Damme, the philosopher of our times, who described Universal Soldier as being 100% pure beef. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the closest, most accurate description of this book. It's about eight very beefy men and the action movies that they wrought upon the world in the 80s and 90s. So it's Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Chuck Norris, Seagal, Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, of course, Bruce Willis. And Jackie Chan. I think I think I got all of them. And yeah, I just I wrote Wild and Crazy Guys, which was my book about eighties comedy. And I, it was so much fun writing about that period. You know, the eighties was that time in Hollywood where you got these very big, ebullient, wild, high concept movies in both comedy and action. And it was kind of like it was fun writing about all the comedy titans, but the action guys, the stories are just unbelievable. So yeah, it was really the culmination of lots of interviews that I'd done for Empire over the years. You know, went to Shanghai and hung out with Jackie Chan and talked to Seagal, did a set visit for for Schwarzenegger, Sabotage. Well, one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to you specifically about this movie, Demolition Man, as it pertains to your to your book. And, and the Chuck Norris story sort of speak to that, the disparity between the screen persona and the man. And that's certainly the case with Sylvester Stallone as well, like how he is on screen, how he how he's portrayed on screen, and perhaps how he's perceived by audiences actually has quite a, it, there's quite a significant disparity between how he is in real life. So with this film being a sort of uh, satirical deconstruction of action movie archetypes to some extent, we thought it would be very a very interesting film to get your perspective on because, you know, Stallone is kind of the central figure of the book, right? And what's your, you spent a lot of time with him. How, what's your reading of him and how that informs his his role in this film and what he's kind of doing with his screen image? Yeah, he was, so the book starts with Stallone. You're right. He's kind of the central, him, him and Schwarzenegger, but I think especially Stallone, go, and I think it's quite an amazing and I learned a lot writing the book. Like, I didn't know a lot of it going in, but he is a very complicated character. He's maybe the most interesting out of the eight people to talk about because there's so much going on with him. Like, he contains multitudes. Like, he's this big hulking guy who makes dumb action movies. Some of them are dumb. Some of them are smart. You know, has an entourage, has a big ego, but then he's also very sensitive. He enjoys poetry and Edgar Allan Poe. Like, there's so much going on. And he's really smart, he's really funny, but when he tries to be funny on screen, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Charting his arc through this time against Schwarzenegger's, Schwarzenegger is like a straight line. It's just everything he does works, which is why I wanted to end the book with him having a failure, because it was so unusual at that time for him to anything to go wrong. Whereas with Stallone, it's like flatlining, it's going up and down. And he's having these huge successes and then the next year he'll have rhinestone and then he'll do the biggest movie of their next year and then he'll do oscar and stop and my mum will shoot but just he his career just was going all over the shop and there's so much drama to just kind of charting it yeah with demolition man i, I think he was very sensitive about his image especially and he was resistant originally to the idea of kind of sending himself up or satirizing himself but got talked into it and it worked out really well. Yeah, we we talked about how this is actually an interesting companion piece to Last Action Hero, which is also obviously, you know, the title of the title of your book, or Last Action Heroes, how this was almost taking place at a pivotal moment, right? We have the the 80s and you you know, you've I think you've said before in other interviews and it's something that we the whole 
it's the whole pretext of our show is that there's basically action movies before Die Hard and action movies after Die Hard. There is a gigantic paradigm shift from what they would call, you know, literally in this movie, muscle-bound cavemen, muscle-bound grotesques, as the, as they're called in this film. So by 1993, which is the year of Last Action Hero, Schwarzenegger playing with his screen image, basically trying to figure out where do we go in the in this sort of more self-aware 90s where there has been a paradigm shift about what the action movie is perceived as because Bruce Willis was this more vulnerable, more sensitive, more human figure that was driving, you know, that suddenly created this this new kind of model. It seemed to me that this film was it, using the sort of the mechanism of future shock, a Rip Van Winkle type story, someone being transposed into a different society for Stallone to figure out what do I do as a quote unquote muscle bound grotesque now that that era is basically over. So that's why I thought this would be, you know, a, a fascinating film to unpack. Do you have a favorite action movie of all time, Nick, as someone that's a real connoisseur? I mean, it's 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 down to Die Hard or T2. Like, it's one of mm. those two, and it really just depends on which day. I saw T2, and I'm not talking about Train Spotting 2. <laughs> wonder if anyone calls that T2 still. But yeah, I, I, do. I, I, I saw... You do. <laughs> It'll always be just the true me. T2. Yeah, I do. <laughs> just you and Danny Boyle. Exactly. Yeah, T2, I saw younger. It it really hit me. I remember the Game Boy game. I was talking to someone about the Game Boy game the other day. Like, how weird is it that there's mm -hmm. a Terminator 2 Game Boy game and there was like a Navy SEALs one. And it was a big part of my like formative years. Die Hard, I didn't see till a while later. I wish I'd seen it earlier. Yeah, it's it's got to be one of those two because they've got everything. They've got the action, but they've also got the comedy. They're both hilarious films. I just saw Die Hard at the weekend on the big screen with a packed out crowd, which was Jealous. amazing. People amazing. laughing the whole way through it in a good way, not laughing at it. Has happened the weekend before with Rambo too. Yeah, they they just fuse action comedy. They've got so many ideas. They were revolutionary. And they both, especially Die Hard, has that deep bench of characters. Like there's so many, there's probably like 15 characters from that film I can quote. Like how many films, whether action movies or not, can you quote 15 different characters? So Yeah, there's every nuance of Die Hard has an entertainment value, even if it's the SWAT team guy pricking his hand on the road. What's your history with this particular film, with Demolition Man, Nick? I mean, I saw it at the cinema when it came out. I immediately loved it. And I'm not really a sly guy. Like I was always an Arnold guy growing up. I, I've come to appreciate sly much more. But yeah, this was for me probably my favorite Stallone movie when I was when it when it came out, I was pretty young. I was like a, a young teenager. I just thought it was really clever. I really appreciated how funny it was, how kind of meta it is. I probably didn't get all of the satire, like but it's it's really interesting. It's it's like a celebration of of action movies, but by by imagining a world where action movies don't exist, and kind of showing that future to be quite a boring place. And so, yeah, the 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 John Spartan character kind of symbolizes action movies. And you know, Sandra Bullock is obviously us. She's like a fan. So there's a really fun. Who wants to go there. back and stay in that world forever? Which is why we do this show. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. She loves. She she enjoys Lethal Weapon three probably more than I do. Like I don't have that poster on my wall. Do yeah. you guys remember the Lethal Weapon three Game Boy game? Because that existed. No. I had it. It was not very good. You could play as Murtaugh or Riggs. And I just remember, like, in retrospect, it's like, oof, what a what a ridiculous fact that like a. 13-year-old boy was playing a, a Game Boy game for Lethal Weapon 3. It's absolutely ridiculous. That's amazing. What's your history with this one, Liam? 
Nick, partially because of your book. I've been going back and rewatching or seeing things for the first time. And so one of the things that I watched was Cobra. So I'm having a little bit of a Stallone-assance. So I rewatched this last night and you know, we, we reference him too much on this show, but it's Verhoeven-esque, and anytime you can get some Verhoeven in a movie, yeah. I'm a very, very happy, happy it's person. It's very sharp satire, mm-hmm. um, in addition mm-hmm. to, yeah, that's a really good comp, actually, because it is quite RoboCop-like in the sense it's a sort of a complicated, quasi-dystopian, although seemingly utopian, future mm-hmm. society with a lot of pointed comments to make about corporate America, about you know, about American society in general. Um, that's a really interesting pull that. Ver- wait, we, Verhoeven does come up every yeah, single time. Yeah, we just time. need to do Verhoeven um, cast. Some, like, it just some, seems some, like an important reason. that we have to talk about him. What's your relationship with this movie, Phil? Um, yeah, I, I I saw it as a rental. I, I didn't see it when it came out. I loved it. I yeah, just it's been a, it's been in my life pretty much since it, it came out. You know, this is like a, a, a regular watch. For me, my wife loves it too. So it's it's one of the few ones, you know, she she's still never watched Under Siege. I'm always trying to <laughs> always fight in that battle. But this is one of the ones where she'll actually be, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll you know, she'll watch Demolition Man with me. So it's def- it's something that I'm very much across. This wasn't like a new discovery for me. It's like I've yeah. always thought this film was awesome. Yeah. And to be clear, this film is fucking awesome awesome like it's a brilliant as a science fiction film as a satire as an action movie as a meta movie it's doing so much it's a straight joel silver you know movie it's got all of that vibe to it all that muscularity to it um do you want to give of, us some facts let's have some facts um yeah so demolition man was released on October the 8th, 1993, by Warner Brothers, which was three weeks after our last film, Striking Distance. We're now just over five years after Die Hard and obviously still feeling its aftershocks. It was directed by Marco Brambia and produced by Joel Silver, Michael Levy and Howard Kasanjian. Screenplay was written by Daniel Waters, Robert Renault, Peter M. Lenkov, from a story by Renault and Lenkov. And of course, it stars... Sylvester Stallone, Wesley Snipes, Sandra Bullock, Nigel Hawthorne, Benjamin Bratt, and Dennis Leary. And on an estimated budget of $57 million, it grossed $159 million. So it's certainly considered to be a, a solid hit for Stallone, who is kind of course correcting his his career in this year of 1993 with the double whammy of Cliffhanger, which we which we covered with Jamal Bowie. And and this wonderful wonderful picture so yeah it's a hit it was a hit now in terms of concept this film isn't a classic die hard scenario but it does contain a very high amount of die hard dna i had to it's the jurassic park it's it also needs to be referenced in every episode <laughs> yes exactly i, like I love it. the so, it's a good sign when the guest laughs because not like every it. guest laughs some guests no, that's, i got it look, the tears are the real. other way <laughs> hey, Mr. DNA. I'm, I'm on board they're like how did i get on this show with these two idiots <laughs> So now, Nick, you're you're the expert. So tell me if I'm missing anything. But these are this is the section where we look for specific connections yeah. to the OG Die Hard. So tell me if I'm missing anything. The ones that I caught were the fact, obviously, this is a Joel Silver production. It features the legendary Charles Bikerny as a stunt coordinator. He pops up in all of these Joel Silver mm-hmm. movies. He also appears briefly in Die Hard as the cop driving Dwayne T. Robinson. Oh. The movie begins with Grandel Bush flying oh, in a helicopter over L.A. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's at the end of Die Hard, but it's at the beginning of this movie. We also have a British classically trained Shakespearean actor in a villainous role. We have a hero who is a rule-breaking maverick cop called John, who is effectively a one-man army. 
They're always called John. But an interesting kind of cyclical link because, you know, Rambo inspired Die Hard, right? It was sort of often referred to when it was in development as Rambo in a building. This character is played by Rambo and then Rambo mm. is even referenced in the movie as mm. it is in, in Die Hard. We, we sort of touched on that self-referentiality aspect. This, this, like Die Hard, it's also directly references Arnold Schwarzenegger mm. as Die Hard does too. It totally changes the context having read your book like that moment. It's hilarious. It was funny before, <laughs> but now having been steeped in that history, it's like, it's a great, great line. Like it just, I love it all works, the little so. jabs. Yeah, the, the He's little jabs. president? The Schwarzenegger <laughs> Library. Also prophetic in some other, like incredible. Yeah. 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 Then you've also got rooftop shootouts. You've got characters jumping from explosions. I don't know how you're Stallone. Like I love doing my Stallone, <laughs> Stallone yeah. yell. If yeah. you ever feel compelled to do that, Nick, you, this is a safe. You got place. it down. You got it down. Um, <laughs> I'll learn from the, learn from the master. Wait till you hear my Marco I impression. I was rehearsing oh constantly. There's he didn't sleep last night. Um, actually, didn't, which is why I'm delirious. The, the, there's also an interesting class dimension in this film that Die Hard has, and this, this film has in, in spades. You know, there's the haves and the have-nots. There is a literal underclass in Demolition Man. Die Hard has some pretty nifty mm. class politics, class analysis. It's also highly critical of the police. LAPD, mm. again, are portrayed as largely inept and foolish. And then the last, the last shot, you sort of have a hero and leading lady leaving the chaotic scene having achieved romantic unity mm. as the mm. camera pans up to a burning decimated building God, so although Phil, you are a poet you are on a face poet. value to this you might think this is what's this got to do with die hard but actually you know under under my under my action movie microscope there were quite a few things that i caught did i miss anything nick or any other you, anything you that... had pretty much everything on my list to be honest down to the grand l bush thing which i i, I wasn't sure you were going to get so what on that there was only one one other thing because i watched die hard recently and there's kind of the penthouse pet you know the scene where uh, there's two people making out in the office i was listening to the commentary and they say that was like joel silver said you got to put a penthouse pet in there and 100%. you see her topless briefly and that happens thing. again i'd for always forget this bit in demolition man but when he does the wrong number call on the video screen again a topless woman and according to the commentary a penthouse pet and I, they don't say on that marco wow. brumbia doesn't say but i'm sure it was a joel silver you've got to put a bit of bit of penthouse in so i think uh, i totally i thought that i was watching it last night and i thought that is such a i bet a hundred percent that is a joel silver note because it's also it doesn't it doesn't fit at all because it's like this is a sort of sexless society right everyone's really repressed yeah. and they're in yeah. and they've literally just had a scene where they've tried they can't have sex physically they have to do it virtually and then randomly there's this the, the, there's this nudity just shoehorned in there and it's just like that is such a note it feels, <laughs> yeah. it feels so, like yeah. a joel silver note on every film just the same note you can just imagine the director getting it going, oh, God, yeah the 13 year old boys need to be like uh, watching yeah. this on hbo late at night yeah. and recording it but it, to this movie's credit you know it, it's smart because it shows you what actually happens in a repressive society like that's why I like it a lot, right? Like, it's like people are still doing it. You know, just the cop who thinks she has to follow all the rules is not doing it, right? Like, it's it's just yeah. everything. The conceit of this is I think you're so, giving so, Joel so Silver a lot credit. <laughs> 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 I'm not sure he thought it through this much. Maybe she was using the free seashells and it requires, uh, you know, yeah. this romantic. Who, who, who knows? All right, listen, I'm not going to be so nice, okay? I'm going to, the rules are going to change here, Phil. <laughs> Well, there's one one last other thing that was not Die Hard DNA, but Die Hard with a Vengeance DNA is that Simon Phoenix's catchphrase as well is he says Simon says a lot, which was of course goes on to become uh, 
a motif for the Simon Gruber, Jeremy Irons character in that movie. So that was another one that sort of was obviously two years ahead, but worth touching on. So we'll, we'll move on now to a section called Anatomy of an Action Movie, where we kind of break down, we get a little, get under the hood. So for anyone that hasn't seen the movie, I'm just going to summarize it very, very quickly. If you haven't, I don't know what you've been doing for the last... 30 years, but um, in a dystopian crime-ridden Los Angeles, renegade cop John Spartan Stallone apprehends his psychotic arch-nemesis Simon Phoenix, played by Wesley Snipes, during a chaotic assault. In the aftermath, Spartan is wrongly blamed for a large number of civilian deaths, and both men are placed in a new cryogenic penitentiary where they serve their sentences in suspended animation. So when they are both awakened 36 years later, Spartan and Phoenix find themselves in a new, peaceful, and seemingly utopian society where they quickly resume their violent feud, exposing the sinister truth about this brave new world in the process. The ticking clock comes late in the third act when an emboldened Simon Phoenix starts the mass thawing of the cryo prison's most dangerous convicts, thus ushering in a new age of violence and anarchy, and it becomes up to Spartan to stop him before it's too late. So I want to st- sort of step back a little bit now and just let you guys cook on what do you think <laughs> of this concept and the themes that are, that are, I mean, just what are your general thoughts about the conceit of this movie and what it's trying to say and what it's exploring thematically. Nick, I have a question that might kick this off, which is, have you, did you speak to Marco Brambilla while you were writing the book much? Yeah. Yeah. Well, just the one time Mm -hmm. I found out he's now kind of doing art installations. Who is he doing them with? He's doing them with them with someone interesting. And I can't remember who. Well, he did. He's done a bunch. He worked with Marina Abramovich for a while, which is really interesting. And he directed Kanye West's power video. So he's like, he's very interesting. He's he's really after this movie. He was like 26, 27 when this movie was made. And he's kind of completely gone in a different direction. And from you know, it can be hard to find a lot of information about artists in the world, but I do think that one thing that's is interesting is that this this movie kind of like changed his career trajectory. Yeah, he was one of these guys who came out of adverts, commercials mm-hmm. to you guys, you know, which is really interesting because I think Demolition Man has that flash that you kind of associate with with guys coming who have, who have been doing commercials, but it also has so much subtext. It's such a clever film. It's so dense and kind of packed with smart ideas and interesting and just the, the whole technology side of it is fascinating but uh, yeah i think the concept just going back to the question like the the concept is is fantastic i think it's it's so simple i i watching it again the other day i was a little less clear on the mechanic it feels like they're working quite hard to to set it up like i wasn't Mm -hmm. entirely sure what john spartan was in trouble for let alone being put in cryo for that long like it didn't seem like he'd really done anything wrong Mm -hmm. so yeah, not sure about that. Or why people are being frozen. I don't know if it made that 100% clear. Maybe it worked more for <laughs> yeah. you guys. I think it was that like fashionable at the time, it, right? Because right? like, I, I, yeah. I, I think I read one of the screenwriters, like this was a trend going on with celebrities. They were sort of prepping for their their death by being cryogenically frozen. or it, it was sort of like a fad that was going on. So it was sort of in the zeitgeist and it kind of found its way in there as a way to perhaps solve that idea of 
the Rip Van the Rip Van Winkle of a, of a gigantic leap in time and then and an, an becoming into an entirely new society. So I think that's where some of that came from. But Stallone, you know, he obviously has a bad reputation as the demolition man that causes a lot of collateral damage. But basically, Simon Phoenix is like he did it, and the cops are like, oh, okay, we'll, we'll believe you, no problem. Uh, he's he's uh, he's going down for manslaughter. For it seemed a bit harsh this time. Years. I think like when you're younger, you're just like, yeah, yeah, let's get to the let's get the cool stuff started. But this time, I was a bit like. I don't I have a lot of questions in the first five minutes of this film, which it doesn't really answer. But I like how quickly it just gets to it. it yeah, I was so intrigued by the Brambia of it because so I watched this film, you know, recently and rewatching it recently. I, I, I had to stop a few times. And so I kept rewatching the scene when Phoenix breaks out of the penitentiary. And one thing that I kept thinking a little bit about was the first 10 minutes or 15 minutes of whatever is a classical 1990s, late 80s, early 1990s action scene. You've got Stallone like flying through the air, shooting guns. There's some John Woo stuff in there. Like it feels very much of a piece of this kind of action movie. And then we flash forward to 2032 and almost all of the violence that we see is on a screen. Like it's actually very mm. unusual that like we're hearing them be like, he, he, you know, you, I mean, we kind of see him take the eyeball out of Andre Grigori, which is just crazy yeah. that Andre Grigori is, with Andre. is in this part. Yeah. And he shares yeah. a credit on screen with Jesse Ventura. It's like the odd couple, like it's totally bizarre. <laughs> But so he we see all this action through their eyes and it got me thinking a little bit like what are what are sort of like some of the like high level references here? And I actually thought a lot about The Matrix, like which yeah. which, you know, obviously is going to come a few years later and how it's influenced by the philosopher Baudillard, who basically said, like, we're living in a simulation as we become more desensitized, like we're, you know, we're going to become less connected to one another. And it's like, a, it's, you know, it's a pretty like philosophical idea, but Brambia is yeah. really intrigued by this. And yeah. his career post demolition man is really into some of these like more, I would say to some extent, esoteric philosophical ideas that have become much more mainstream. Like they're not experiencing the violence. They're watching it on a screen. And of course, then it, then with the escape of these, this convict and this cop, the violence spills out into the streets. But I, I'm really intrigued by this idea that he sets up early that everything is sanitized and all we're doing is absorbing violence on screens all the time, which feels like this weirdly prophetic. Really heady idea. That's really interesting about The Matrix. I think you're right. Yeah. Like There's some really cerebral influences. And when I talked to Brambia, he mentioned Kurt Vonnegut as one of the inspirations wow. for like you know the the cryo penitentiary and some of the some of the ideas there there's a, a a story called Ice Nine by Kurt Vonnegut he also mentioned Jack Tutte's Playtime so i just love the idea that you've wow. got a stallone action movie that the influences are so far away from that i love that i just find that so exciting and and that's you know i think that the the commentary one of the things i love about this movie is the scene when stallone's like why am i as fighting these guys who are just need to eat like i find that that's really you know great and i think this movie has weirdly been a lightning rod for the right in some ways mm. but mm. there's some pretty interesting non-right leaning ideas in the movie but there's this other level of like he's clearly interested in how we consume culture in like a tech or how we consume violence and all these things in like a in a society and and in a future society, I should say, but also the fact that it's like still a kick-ass action movie, like makes it extremely accessible and and it feels ahead of its time in terms of how it portrays violence in yeah. that sense. 
it's so dense. It's so dense. Mm-hmm. I think it really lends itself to rewatching because there's so much going on and the little references. There, are, I, I watched it when I watched it this last time. There's a reference to the franchise wars when they're talking about Taco Bell winning the franchise wars, and you feel <laughs> and, as if it's like a literal war that's kicked off, and all the fast food restaurants are fighting each other for supremacy. But if there's a feeling that they have really sat down and well, probably not Joel Silver, but you know Brambia and and you know certainly Daniel Waters that they've sat down mm-hmm. and they've thrashed out this whole world and what's happened and it's really it's really smart and interesting. it feels so textured doesn't it it feels so thought through when you do world building you know you really need to make sure that it's really buttoned up and that you got the details correct the foundational elements need to be correct but then all of the details of how this world works and what the governmental structures are or you know all of those type of all of those kind of nuances i i, I mean th- one of the reasons i love this movie as well is like you know one of the, the sort of reasons for doing this show is our thesis that who says action movies have to be dumb right mm-hmm. like sure i can enjoy a dumb action movie and i don't think cobra is full of trenchant insights about about society and law and justice even though even it's got a robot in a fur coat doesn't need any of that stuff (laughs) guys it's style is it's style is depth come on let's be real it's a a movie about aesthetics Um, but this is an interesting it does have some very interesting things to say philosophically socially politically i also i thought it was quite interesting that and this was made in a different time but it, it has an almost centrist point of view, especially at the end, where it's basically like there's the scraps who are the sort of, you know, the underclass who just want food, but just want want a kind of freedom. And then there's the sort of the fascist police force and the the people that believed in the Cocteau philosophy on, on the other side, who are, who are like very much fascist in their uniforms and everything else. And Spartan, as the mediator, basically says, you guys get a little dirty, you guys get a lot clean, and in the middle, you'll figure it out. And apparently that came from Daniel Waters' own sort of centrist ideas. I think being a centrist in the 90s, we're in a we're in a very different world now politically, but I think that was quite an interesting. There's something to be said for the the simplicity of that in a, in, a, in a way, sort of you know about trying to meet somewhere in the middle. It's even more complicated because, and I think this can lead us into our conversation of John Spartan. Yeah, because he has my favorite line, maybe of any action movie ever made, which is the Wild West wasn't even the Wild West. Yes. Which I, thought feels... were, I, I thought you were going to say be fucked. Well, be that one. <laughs> <laughs> that was second. That was a close second. It's, a, it's a tie, but you know, the brainiac in me likes the Wild West wasn't the Wild West, but the 100% beef in me likes be fucked. So it's yeah, all What an it amazing all, it all sort of revisionist, down. progressive interest. Like, you know, you could write essays about that one line. That is a very, well, very interesting and in the Stallone Congress thing to right. say in a movie and like yeah. this. He's smart. He's actually, the movie starts him as this like caveman, but like he's obsessed with knitting because he's learned it when he's like in Cairo. And he's like, he becomes much more sensitive and much more nuanced than even the like classically trained British villain. Like I think they do a good job of making Spartan, whose name is Spartan. Yeah. A lot more no interesting accident. than he has any right to be. And we could explore that line forever, but I just wanted to point it out as like pretty yeah. heady for a movie that is a lot of kiss, kiss, bang, bang. To that point, let's let's get into the hit. Let's move on to our hero section and talk about John Spartan because to the Wild West thing, there is a line in it where Sandra Bullock's character, Lenina Huxley, says to him, and talking about action movie archetypes, and I want to quote this accurately, 
I fleshed you out as some blow up the bad guy with a happy grin He-Man type, but now I realize you're the moody, troubled past gunslinger who only draws when he must type. So like the, you know, and I, it was what struck me about that was how Shane Black framed Lethal Weapon as a Western, was about a moody past gunslinger that was the only one that could solve this, that could kind of deal with these wild criminals. And they he was despised and spat on and, hate, and hated by polite society, but they have to dig him out and dust him off to deal with these bad guys. So I thought that was that was really interesting as a you know and that another movie that seems to find its way into the conversation every single episode is Lethal, yeah. is lethal Weapon. Um, the, the Western thing is really interesting though because it's almost like reminds me of Once Upon a Time in the West that this movie is kind of about progress. I think that's one of its big themes and is progress always progress mm-hmm. or does it take away something from us that that we need and and the movie is kind of wrestling with those in the same way that I think a lot of Westerns do because Westerns are about the old world and the new world and what's lost when you gain things and and in a weird way yeah i think demolition man is kind of is is chewing those things over at the same time Such it's interesting you bring that up because one thing that is said numerous times by various characters i think particularly snipes and stallone is i'm history and like on one level that's like a, a great action movie quip like um history but on the other level it's like he literally is history and he's like history in this sort of like struggle sense where it's like we we're trying to move away from this thing but like maybe you need that thing or maybe this like it's the edges being sanded off of a society create larger problems it's very chilling that there's a line that's like abortion is illegal but also so is getting pregnant and you're just like mm. What is happening in this, you know, this supposed utopian, utopia? Yeah, it's gone very sterile. Lots of things have been outlawed. But yeah, they keep calling Stallone prehistoric, a dinosaur, like that Neanderthal, like they keep saying it over and over again. And Nathaniel Hawthorne's always saying that to him. But yeah, it's like that that's that's the fundamental question, I think, is is being a dinosaur a bad thing or is it a good thing? And yeah. and I don't know. I don't know if it, it obviously comes down more on the side of 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 saying that the old way is better. You know, you've even got a car chase where you've got a future car versus like an old school car. But I think at the same time, the movie is satirizing the eighties and satirizing action movies, and so I don't I don't think it's a hundred percent on one side. Yeah, I think a good thing about a satirizer it doesn't it's not like an equal opportunity offender, right? Like it's it's not gonna it's gonna poke fun. Like you can I, you can watch this movie and have your politics sort of you can feel like it's it's meeting your political ideas but like if you're really paying attention there's there's a tension there that i think is really really interesting i'm like dying to wait till 2032 and like have this re-released and i want to know what everyone thinks of it when it when it comes out then and particularly what they think of wesley snipes as simon phoenix because is this his best performance besides willie mays hayes in major league (laughs) What do we think? Be. I think it might be. It's it's definitely his most entertaining. Like I I I I love him in White Man Can't Jump as well and Blade. But yeah, I I love Simon Phoenix. And it's interesting to what we were just talking about that he kind of represents the future of of what action heroes are going to become. He was just kind of hitting his peak then as an action star himself, and obviously represents you know more diversity. He's obviously a leaner guy than Stallone, and so. It, yeah, it was it was it was Stallone at that period where he was quite insecure about these these younger, slimmer mm. guys kind of taking over. So you've got Snipes being outrageously entertaining, but then also representing that anxiety. What I think is really interesting about Snipes' performance in this, compared to the other films that 
he did in this era, some of which we've talked about, such as Passenger 57 and another one that we, we haven't talked about. It's not directly relevant. Boiling Point. He is so subdued in those movies. He is so introverted and kind of internal. Um, and it and actually Drop Zone, he's quite like that too. It's it's really interesting that when he was the lead, it, it seemed with these action movies, he had to be, and Murder at 1600 as well, I think he's a mm. pr pretty kind of contained character, right? In this one, it's the total opposite. It's like he was completely unleashed when he was playing the antagonist to just go, but no, <laughs> cuckoo, just go absolutely yeah. go for it with such a fantastic performance. It's certainly, I think this is certainly his most vivid Mm -hmm. performance that he's ever done and you know I'm a huge huge Snipes fan um I love him and I think he's I think he's so talented it's, it's so many different mm -hmm. things as a dramatic actor as a martial artist as a comedy actor you know he's he's so talented but the, yeah for me this is like as good as he kind of as good as it gets you know he was just phenomenal in this it's also I appreciate, you know, to Nick's point sort of about like the dinosaur idea that he has this line towards the end of the movie where he's like, you can't stop people from being assholes or behaving like assholes or whatever it is. And like, I appreciate when, you know, similar to Die Hard, but in a very different way, they make the villain dimensional and thoughtful and have actual ideas. And boy, does the line, you can't stop people from being assholes really resonate in 2022 <laughs> with the few years that we've had. Like it feels smart that he becomes more dimensional through the course of the movie. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, thinking back to Die Hard, he's kind of, he has great lines, but he is the anti-Gruber in terms of mm -hmm. Gruber is very buttoned up and very elegant. And then you've got Simon Phoenix, who is just, he's like a cartoon character. He's like a Looney Tunes character mm -hmm. unleashed in the middle of this this movie. And it's quite hard to get right. I think you can think of a lot of action movies where the villain is like this guy who's yelling and making noise and being over the top. And sometimes it sinks the movie. But in this case, it works. And I think it's down to Snipes' charisma. And he brought a lot of the ideas in himself. I think that there's a scene where he speaks Spanish for no particular reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was so his weird. thing. He just started doing it in the in the rehearsal. But yeah, he's he he's fantastic and and yeah, gets as many good one-liners as as Sly, I think. Is Nigel Hawthorne like uh, who plays Dr. Raymond I called him Cocteau. Nathaniel Hawthorne. I've just realized it's not Nathaniel Hawthorne. <laughs> Nigel Hawthorne. Yeah, yeah you're I was just thinking about early there. American yeah. literature. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's okay. It's I cool. often am at this time of day. Is he, who isn't? Is he a big sort of... I, I don't know that I'm super familiar with him, but what are you guys' thoughts on him in this film? I think, I think he has the right amount of screen time and any longer it might stop working, in my opinion. I mean, he's a legend in 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 Britain, mainly for a combination of his stage work and yes, minister. I would say, right, Nick? Like culturally, are that are they the most, the main kind of temples for yeah. for him. Yeah, there's a movie called The Madness of King George that was pretty right. big, yeah. and and apparently he. Only, uh, I read that he only did Demolition Man so that he could get that get that film made and i don't think he was a huge fan of demolition man when he was making it he didn't realize quite how smart it was maybe yeah i mean it works i don't think he's the most memorable character in the film but it works you know you need a kind of supercilious british guy and he delivers that and he's obviously a great actor but uh, yeah he's he's sometimes i forget he's in this film to be honest you guys so had a characters. hard time in the late 80s and early 90s it was like every every bad guy was a was a british was a british man thank you very we, we much had, yeah. we had bruce payne in passenger 57 right. charles dance in last action hero obviously alan rickman all rsc jeremy guys irons. as yeah jeremy irons will oh, go yeah. on you know to to it goes on and on and on this was the Stephen the just 
the the, the yeah Burkhoff, <laughs> you know, and he he was around even earlier with like Beverly Hills Cop. So it is, but I think it's in, what is interesting about this character is a good example of the principle that sometimes we talk about in screenwriting of the villain being the hero of their own movie mm. idea. He wants to create a peaceful society free of crime and anarchy, and because of that prologue, which apparently came from Fred Decker, frequent Shane Black collaborator, uncredited, he was the one that basically said, "You need to if you're going to go to Oz, you need to have the contrast." We talked about this a little bit with Last Action Hero, which I think is also a sort of Wizard of Oz type story, but be, we needed to see the dystopia that f that ushered the, the utopia into existence, or because it's a false utopia. But of course, ultimately, this character is revealed to be not unlike certain figures from real life and who are higher in the political sphere as a fascist, a hypocrite, and a criminal himself. I.e. a British guy in the early 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Come so, for the jokes about action movies, stay for the trenchant historical <laughs> politics. We love to hear it. <laughs> so, but let's talk about the action in this movie because, you know, th this fundamentally is... It's a sci-fi action film first, and it works on that level, which in a way where I feel like Last Action Hero we talked about is a very interesting uh, meta satire, although it's sort of messy and doesn't really work on a complete like action on an action movie level, I, I don't think. You know, we had that we we kind of had that debate. But this film, in my opinion, does work in all of those different categories. It all kind of coalesces and it, and it feels very cohesive. What it, the action sequences in this movie are just gonna run through the ones that I highlighted, but I'm interested to get your assessment of how this works just purely on an action level. We've got that opening sequence in the abandoned building, which as Paul Shear said on How Did This Get Made is when they did it was the ending of an awesome movie that we didn't see. <laughs> it was <laughs> yeah. is the beginning of this movie. Um, you got that museum shootout, which is also quite witty as well as being quite, a, 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 you know, quite, quite a, fun, a fun kind of gun battle with the futuristic laser railgun. The car chase and the secure foam crash into the SAPD HQ and then that final battle in the cryo prison. How do you guys rank this as like the, the action sequences and this as an action movie? Well, I, I'm kind of signing with you, Phil, on on Last Action Hero. Like, I, for me, Last Action Hero, the action. Sorry, sorry, Liam. The, the, um, I'm leaving. Some yeah, sanity storming out. The yeah, I feel like the action and the the plot kind of work against each other in that film a little bit because it's not for me. It's not entirely clear always what the stakes are or mm -hmm. how much of a the comedy overpowers the action. So it's. Whereas in Demolition Man, I think that tonally it's so deft and they get it so right. And so every action scene is satisfying as an action scene, but then the comedy is is kind of layered in quite quite smartly and subtly. I quite like the the you know I quite like the the, the it starts with fire and ends with ice. That's quite mm. cool. Again, another diehard connection. Slightly slight killing the bad guy with ice, where John McClane kills a guy with an icicle in Die Hard mm -hmm. Two, and obviously Terminator Two. But yeah, I, I think the action's great. I don't know if there's like one standout, but I think for me, the museum scene just is is elevated by the idea behind it. Mm -hmm. Like it's a decent action scene, but it's the idea that there's a, all, there's a museum where all these action movie props are. And it's like violence itself is in a museum. And that's such a cool 
such a cool idea and cool co concept to build an action scene around that it really makes it memorable. Yeah, it's sort of a perfect metaphor for the, the thematic ideas of the of the film is to place this in a museum, the Museum of Violence, I think it's literally called, yeah. and they have a battle in there and outside of those four walls, it's like this seemingly peaceful utopia. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's brilliant. And the, the fact that they're having a conversation during the shootout as well, you know, it, 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 it's very deft, as you say. It's very, very, it's really good writing and acting and a really good direction. We don't have um, conversations in action movies anymore. We have quips, right? And like, it's like this probably has a couple of good quips, but it feels like they're always arguing with each other and it makes their relationship much more endearing such as it is like the fact that they're kind of like a bickering couple whenever they're in a scene together like i think that that's that's they're really yin and yang great. aren't they they sort of it's fire and ice they kind of complement each other in well an one thing way. this movie weirdly made me think of and i wonder if christopher nolan is a fan is early on in the movie <laughs> stallone says it takes a maniac to catch a maniac and like that reverberates right to the scene in the dark knight when joker's like you need me like they need each other yeah in very sense. much so. and i think it's it's also a little bit of a commentary that like depending on how you interpret it the idea that like you need people that are insane to you know do this kind of thing because no one in this society can i would say that's one of the more like regressive ideas in the movie but it but it also makes for kick-ass action right like it really is interesting that that is kind of the thesis that's like the first thing that stallone says in the movie well, Simon Phoenix yeah. is also a proto supervillain, isn't he? I mean, and, and they, there's, there's a point that I didn't pick up on with every watch, but they say that he has been enhanced during his cryo, you know, cryo right. sentence, right? He's actually, his ability, he's been made to be stronger and he has all of these extra abilities. So he is kind of a proto supervillain. So, yeah, I think the, that comparison's dead on. Yeah, which is kind of a, an early Matrix idea as well, that they're kind of downloading all these skills into him yes. while he's mm -hmm. in cryo. But yeah, he is a bit jokery as well, Simon Phoenix. There's nothing in his pockets but knives and lint. He also has a great knife, which he you see early on, and he doesn't really use it much, but it's got the skull on the top of it. But he's a very, yeah, he feels like straight out of a superhero film. And an anarchist like the Joker is, right? Just wants chaos. You know, doesn't, there's no sort of ideology behind, he's not trying to achieve anything. He's not like a Bond villain. He just, he just wants anarchy. Should we talk about the humor? We touched on this a little bit, but it's interesting that, in my opinion, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Nick, as someone who studied him and, and met with him, Stallone, he was unsuccessful at out-and-out -out comedy, right, as we talked about, Oscar, Stop on My Mom Will Shoot, but yet when he blended comedy with action, as he does in this film and as he does in, say, like Tango and Cash, which I, which I love, um, he he is able to do it, and he's a genuinely funny guy. He's got a real nimble, deft touch. The knitting thing is so funny. He's poking fun at himself. He doesn't seem to mind being the butt of the joke. He's constantly the butt of the joke in this film. Um, why is it that he can do comedy so skillfully in this film and then f sort of failed so, so badly when he was doing out-and-out -out comedy in a way that Schwarzenegger was able to do with like Twins and Kindergarten Cop. You know, what, what's your interpretation of that, Nick? I think part of it is that the, the comedy is happening around him. So it's not just him. Like if you watch Oscar, mm -hmm. it's Stallone like doing a farce and, he's, and, and, and it's got a slight air of desperation around it and it doesn't work. Whereas with this, the world is inherently funny, the seashells, and it's more his reactions to things. And they're very small little moments, but it's not putting all the comedy on his shoulders. So I think you like him because it's such an absurd, ridiculously politically correct world that he's inhabiting that you're kind of on his side. You're seeing the world through his eyes. And so he's a very relatable guy. And... He's just reacting like we would react. Like he's not mm. hes not doing a lot of comedy routines. He's not doing Jim Carrey. 
but he he does it very very well and right. but he's really likable in this film it's interesting you know you mentioned cobra earlier they're both you know films set on the west coast with him playing a cop but he's <laughs> you can't relate or like that character at all but in this he's like the everyman which is quite unusual well, i, I cut my pizza with scissors <laughs> your you frozen know, pizza like... <laughs> Yeah. And then watch a Toys R Us commercial while cleaning my gun. It's totally related. <laughs> All right, but moving on. <laughs> I think one thing that is interesting to your point, Nick, is is I think that like these guys worked really well when they they sort of do the monolithic thing that they're really good at. Like Schwarzenegger is earnest. Like his com- comedy comes from being like an earnest guy. Like it's like he's saying his one-liners, but he means them. They don't have like the hint of irony, and so therefore they're funny. Whereas with Stallone, it's like he's just playing the straight man, right? Like. Like he's sort of the the Jerry Seinfeld to the kooks around him kind of character. Like he has yeah. that sort of like what's going on here. Like and and he just plays that and it's really funny as opposed to and Phil, we need to talk about you saying you like stop or my mom will shoot. But when he leans into I the comedy, I don't like it. What are you no, talking about? Oh, I thought about? you just said you liked. Were you having a laugh? <laughs> <laughs> but it oof, podcast divorce. It. Podcast I saw the trailer divorce. and I was like, you've never seen Stop or My Mom. Oh, no, get no. Out let's of not here. waste any time. I thought you liked Sylvester that. Stallone. No, yeah, he he's just a straight man and it it works yeah. really well. But he has a good sense of comic timing in this. Yeah, I was just going to say Twins is the one film where you see Schwarzenegger's orgasm face and this is the one film where you see Sly's O face, which I'd forgotten about that that sex scene <laughs> where you're just getting his reaction. It made me feel quite uncomfortable. But um, yeah, I, I think it's just he's got quite a laid back, not in the action scenes, but when he's just walking around San Angeles, like he's got that laid back kind of chilled vibe to him. And it's a very relaxed performance. Like it doesn't feel like yeah. he's trying too hard or anything. It's, and I think maybe that helps that it was like such an ensemble, like in the same way Die Hard was a real ensemble, that mm-hmm. it doesn't all fall on him to power well, the Well, there's thing. funny, there's very funny comedic performers around him. One in particular that we should talk about now as we move on to our section about the leading lady of this picture, Sandra Bullock as Lenina Huxley. What a performance. Amazing. Like, and, and her energy, such a perfect compliment. The, the sort of, she has such a breezy charm. She's so endearing and likable from the moment we meet her. She's so funny when she, you know, we're constantly misquote that that could be a real hackneyed gag. You know, she's constantly misquoting common phrases. Funnily enough, something that also happens in Last Action Hero with the, with the, with the gangster character played by Anthony Quinn. And it's not particularly funny in that, but in this, the way that she does it with these, you know, mistakes is is what are the things she says were like you re- you really licked his ass instead of you really kicked. His ass. Like, what is and the she does it with blowing? such innocence. What is it? What is you know, let's go blow this guy. You know, <laughs> and she, because she's so sort so of stupid innocent, and so funny. It, it these are like not it, that's not like brilliant writing necessarily, but in the hands in her in her capable hands, it, it's delightful. I think she is incredible in this movie and what she does looks it she makes it look effortless but I think it requires a lot of dexterity and skill and Nick I think I'm right in saying that this was recast right it was originally Laurie Petty yeah uh, was yeah. was supposed to play this role and I think maybe did a little shooting filmed, filmed one scene it was the scene where uh, John goes back to her apartment just before they they don't have sex um have VR yeah, sex? that scene yeah. yeah, have the VR sex and and but yeah, that that was shot and then it was felt that she didn't have sufficient chemistry with Sly, so they fired her and she later said that was 
the worst day she ever had. Was okay. getting fired from this film quite quickly, so yeah, Sandra Bullock was drafted in. But uh, I mean, she's perfect. She's like a blast of sunshine. Yeah, you know, in the same way she is in Speed. You know, she's kind of supporting an action, quite a straight-faced action hero, and just bringing that comedy and that likability and and everything. But uh, yeah, she's she's fantastic, absolutely fantastic in this film. It's a very vibrant performance. All of her performances are like that. Yeah. You know, she's just so alive, and it's really exciting to watch. And she gives credibility because she makes us understand the world that we're in. Like, in a way, like the way she explains it and she talks about it, I feel very like, oh, okay, like I understand where we are because it comes a little later in the movie. But when she explains it, you feel like you're in the, you're really. She kind of grounds it. Yeah. An absurd world in a way that you can kind of, she sort of walks us through this absurd world in a way that's because, oh, yeah, this kind of does hold kind of hangs together mm-hmm. as silly and surreal as it is but yeah what what a performance she's amazing so all right let's put on our futuristic tuxedos what is the thing he's wearing at the taco bell it's oh, like yeah. a mortal combat <laughs> robe like i don't understand well, it shows off the guns doesn't it, oh, it shows, shows off the guns you know he's very um, fit but it's a ridiculous <laughs> i just said stallone was fit in case you guys were wondering <laughs> Stallone's pretty he brought fit. that to set himself that is brand new just put it, yeah. so let's put on our weird so, mortal combat fit vests for our section the diehard oscars aka the action movie awards where phil phil will you list the nominees for the various awards and and uh, and nick and i can can grant oscars diehard oscars yes so you cast your votes for the following nominees for the john mcclain yippee award for best line and also please feel free to add any that i've missed because this is actually full of them this is this is zinger city send a maniac to catch a maniac Mm. followed by like the gear change or whatever, like just, just to button it um, by said by John Spartan. That kind of summarizes uh, the thrust of the film, if not necessarily the theme of it, but great line. I'm a, I'm a big fan of mellow greetings, sir. What seems to be your boggle? <laughs> yeah, I've started <laughs> saying by that the museum to patron yeah. to, to Phoenix. I also rather enjoyed, we're police officers. We're not trained to handle this kind of violence. It was said by Irwin, played by Rob Schneider. Those are the three that I picked, but I could go on all day. Were there any of those that you guys particularly loved or ones that you want to throw into the mix? I think my pick is the Wild West wasn't even the Wild West. I just love that line. I think it's incredibly smart and great. That's my pick. Nick? Good choice. I'll take be fucked. No. I, <laughs> I love it. The dialectic. It's a lie. Yeah, it's a lie. It's, it just makes me laugh. But no, I'm going to go with what's your boggle because I say that in conversation still. And and not many action one-liners have kind of permeated my vocab as much as that. But um, And be fucked. I've heard you say that quite a lot. I'm going to start saying that Yeah, in issue meetings. Yeah, I, I kind of love that they've come up with all these these amazing bits of future speak that are actually fun to say and, and just absolutely ridiculous and funny. Enhance your calm is another one that they keep kind of saying and stuff. Something I certainly need to do in my life. Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. A few interesting nominees for this for this category. Uh, Wesley Snipes as Simon Phoenix, Sandra Bullock as Lenina Huxley, Benjamin Bratt, who we haven't talked about, as Alfredo Garcia, who is sort of kind of the sidekick or partner to Sandra Bullock's character in the in the San Angeles Police Department. And Dennis Leary as mm. Edgar Friendly. So those are my picks. Do you guys have a vote for who who stole this movie? For me, it's got to be Jack Black as Wasteland Scrap Number Two. If you guys spotted Jack Black on this go round, he's got a that is Jack Black. Very small role. Unclear how he ended up living in the sewers under San Angeles, but but he's great. No, my my honest answer is going to be 
Bob Gunton. No, it's going to be Wesley Snipes. I mean, the, the man, the, what more does he have to do to steal a film than what yeah. he does here? I mean, he he steals it and then returns it and then steals it a second time. It's incredible. 100%. That's the answer. Benjamin Bratt, also great. I love that he becomes radicalized. I think that's really fun yeah. in the movie. For me, for me, it's Sandra Bullock. You know, sorry mm. to go against the grain, but I, I, yeah, I just think she she goes on to parlay this into speed and then becomes an absolute superstar. Yeah. So I think that I think just she's spectacular in this film. Um, the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. Our nominees are, and you just mentioned him, Chief George Earl, played by Bob Gunton, who during the course of the film calls Stallone's character caveman, savage, Neanderthal, primate, muscle-bound, grotesque. It's basically every single line is a really personal <laughs> insult. Then we've got Associate Bob, played by Glenn Shaddix. Oh, he's great. Big fan of Laura Harris as the rude Taco Bell patron. And of course, Dr. Raymond Cocteau. Those are my four nominees for Dick of the Movie. Thoughts? Associate Bob, because he's just so slimy. Not the most. Loyalty isn't his best quality. Who's the guy who reams out John Spartan at the beginning after he's blown up the building? You oh, know, yeah. Richard, Richard Donner's, Donner's Richard brother-in-law. Donner's, uh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Steve Kahan. Steve Kahan. Steve Kahan. Steve Kahan, yes. Uh, as seen in the Leaf Weapon nice, movies. Nice, And, cool. I mean, he's responsible for the whole thing, right? Like, he, he that's a wild overreaction to put the man in ice for, like, <laughs> yeah. for yeah. like three decades and destroy There's his entire life. something you forget called official police procedure. Like, yeah. Like... Well, it's also very smart commentary to get the cop, the, the captain from Lethal Weapon to be an absurd version of the co- the captain yeah. from you know in this movie like it, it's the first yeah. wink well not the first but one of the great early winks he's almost in intentionally movie. a stereotype in a in a way we, we you know in some way that's a great shout uh, I would go for I'd go for Chief Earl personally but uh, good good call so you, our final category for the Oscars is the um, what is normally called um, the best death but today should be called the best MDK the best murder death kill. <laughs> The best extinguishing of light. Her light was extinguished <laughs> by the big one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I've got uh, one of the moments that I love for, of, of the, there's a lot of deaths in this film, but there's three that I've picked. I love, you know, when Stallone goes in at the beginning and he's on that like bungee rope and he kind of just unclips it and then shoots someone. There's something so dynamic about that that moment it just it sort of sets this tone for like wow this film is just going for it straight out of the gate i love that that action sequence and that moment in particular just so great warden smithers getting his eyeball removed and being left to die and uh, simon phoenix losing his head those are my three picks for best mdk but if you, again if you have any to add or please chuck them in Oh, there's some good ones. There's some good deaths. There aren't that many in this movie. I don't think it's got like a huge body count, but there's some... Except for the 44 people on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but they were already dead. They were That's already true. dead. But yeah, I, I like it when, you know, Simon finds a way around his programming and just gets one of his henchmen to kill... Very Robocop again, right, that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Any film where someone gets their head kicked off their body is probably going to win my vote. Yeah, And, and especially because they foreshadow it by... You know, he's been, I like that John Spartan's been hanging on to that fort for like 30, however many years. He's like, because Simon says to him at the beginning, I'd lose my head if it wasn't attached. And he's like, I'm going to remember that. One day, so I'm going to kick your head off. And then I can like do a callback to that. The yeah, 90s were the best, best, guys. The 90s were the best. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great death. And, and again, you know, talk about sticking the landing, right? Like there was the one flaw that I had with Under Siege, which otherwise I absolutely love, was like Tommy Lee Jones' death to me is a little blunt and inelegant compared to like the Gruber. But this one just absolutely, it's like, it's a 
it's so, as you say, it was so well set up. It's so perfect and it's so striking and, and visual. It really stays with you, that death. So yeah, for me, it's, it's Simon Phoenix's best MDK for sure. We'll move on then to our final category, our final section of the show, which is the Double Jeopardy Trivia Quiz, where we're going to ask you three three trivia questions. Um, would you would you want to go head-to-head against Liam or work together? You want me to literally compete with a historian of action cinema? <laughs> Thanks. That's very cool of you. No, we're going we're gonna to collaborate. We're oh, that, collaborate. Nick, what a gent. What a mensch. Yeah. What a mensch. All right. All right. John Spartan and, and, and whoever, he, whoever he collaborates with. Lenina Huxley. Um, Wait, li- yeah. no, not that one. Maybe that's not <laughs> the right one. You can be Lenina Huxley. Okay, um, sounds good. All right, guys. So very simple. The, there's, you, can, you get one clue. If you want it, you can phone a friend. You can radio Al Powell, and I'll give you one clue. Question number one. Which action movie megastar did Stallone originally pursue to play the role of Simon Phoenix? I think I know this. I Shall I go for it? Liam, do you have any thoughts on this? Is it Jackie Chan? It is Jackie indeed. Chan. It's Jackie Chan. So this was... Yeah. You, can you elaborate, Nick, a little bit just briefly on the relationship between Chan and Stallone? Yeah, so Jackie Chan, you know, he had kind of given up on trying to break into Hollywood. I kind of chart this a bit in the book. He didn't know Stallone, but he suddenly got an invite to come to America and hang out with Stallone. And it turned out that Stallone was a big fan of Jackie Chan's Hong Kong films. And actually on the set of Demolition Man, in his trailer, he had videotapes of like Police Story and Project A, and he would watch them to try and get ideas for the action scenes. And there's a reference to Jackie Chan, obviously Sandra Bullock references Jackie Chan movies as the way she's learned to fight. Yeah, so so Stallone did offer Jackie Chan the role, but Jackie Chan, as much as he loves Stallone, didn't want to play a bad guy. So he turned it down. One of the many fascinating aspects of this book that was completely new to me, although I did know a little bit about it because uh, the opening of Tango and Cash is like a homage to police story, right? So um, mm. definitely they, they, there, was a, there was a connection between those guys. Question number two. In some overseas releases of this film, the Taco Bell references were changed to the name of which popular American restaurant chain? I can definitely answer this because the UK was one of them. Um, so I've seen the Pizza Hut cut. Yeah. Release the Pizza Hut cut. <laughs> <laughs> but I believe that Pizza Hut is an upscale restaurant still to this day. So Wait, Taco you. Bell is not? It's one of my great re- memories. Yeah, we do have Taco Bell now. We never used to, but there's Congratulations, one I'm near Baker Street. Thank you. I often have a, have a very disappointing Taco Bell at Baker Street. <laughs> Now, I actually, want, one, of my, one of my, the last question was the Jack Black one, but I, oh. fortunately I backed, I have a backup piece in my in my The Derringer boot. and the shoe. So <laughs> the, the, I had to break, I, in case of emergency, break glass. So this is my backup tiebreaker question. Um, this is a toughie. Which actress, known largely for her many collaborations with John Carpenter, provided the voice of the computer in this film? Wow. Is it Jamie Lee Curtis? That seems it is not, easy. although I, yeah, you're I see easy. why you would think that. Hmm. Do you want to call Al? Yeah, I think we should take the call. All right. Al Powell standing cowboy. by. This actress was once married to John Carpenter and starred in several films he directed, including The Fog and Escape from New York. Oh, man. I'm still, I'm still at a loss. I got to say it. I haven't seen The it's, Fog in a while. Um, it's it? Adrian Barbo. Oh. <gasps> Who also provided the voice for the computer in John Carpenter's The Thing? That was a toughie, as I say. I was going to go the the Jack Black one was 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 my you know was the one I was going to do. So I'm sorry, that was a pretty hard. 
Yeah, I'm going to regale people with that this evening. I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> it's my new go-to fact. It's my new so, conversation starter. Guys, yeah. it's been this has been a delight. It's been amazing hey, to have you, Nick. you, Nick. What thank else you do you want to tell people about the 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 book? It's out now, right, in the UK and the US. Where can people, where can people get it? Anything else you want to tell us about? about, about the yeah, book? just that it's out. It's out. It, there's an audio version read by Bronson Pinchot which I'm wow. very happy about. I love him. And there's a bit in, in the book that references Eddie Murphy and Beverly Hills Cop. And so just having Serge like, read that is mind-blowing to me. That is amazing. amazing. Yeah, amazing. so yeah, I just had a, a listen to it the other day for the first time. Not the whole thing, because that would be horribly narcissistic, but I just had a listen to a snippet and, and he does an amazing job. I'm really, really excited that he does that. But yeah, it's also available hardback and digital edition. There is a letterboxed list. Someone has kindly put together a list of all 381 films mentioned, including Basket Case Free, The Progeny. <laughs> in case you were if anyone we're going to be doing that next week <laughs> yeah there we go next episode yeah we're looking to lose listeners that's our plan with the podcast <laughs> there we go <laughs> now it all makes sense why you've asked me on <laughs> oh absolutely not what's going on with the latest issue of Empire as well what's, what's cooking in we, that yeah we, our, our new issue is out well it'll be now I think when people listen to this it's got June part 2 on the cover we revealed it just after they announced it was going back to March next year the film but we have a big interview with Denis Villeneuve and oh, a few other people great. involved in the film and we got two covers showing off all the characters and yeah that's a really really good piece so I recommend people check that out please do Nick thank you genuinely for writing like my favorite read of 2023 like I it's just it's such a good book it's it's such a great read it's such an easy read but it's really meaningful and I think significant for people that grew up and shared these movies with their family and friends and I think you've done a, a real service to, to to movies and movie history so thank you Thank you. Thank you. And I'm just enjoying people talking about these movies, seeing that on social media and, and let me know what they're watching. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say these films have been forgotten, but there's not enough of them on the streaming services. And yep. I don't think they get enough respect, a lot of them. And yeah, if it plays any small part in, in kind of getting people watching these movies and talking about them again, then, uh, you know, then I'd be very, very happy. But thank you. I really, really appreciate what you guys said. Of course. Thanks for coming on. So the book is The Last Action Heroes. Where can people find you on social media, Nick? I'm on, keep wanting to say Twitter. It's not Twitter anymore. It's on X. You'll find me Xing. Exiting? What's the, what's the verb? I'm exiting, exiting. maybe. Maybe I'm, I'm exiting. Often, yeah, yeah, I might be exiting X. But I'm still on there for now. I'm technically on Freds and I'm on Instagram and it's all just my name, Nick Desemlian. Great. Thank you, Nick Desemlian. Great guy. Great book. We could go on about it forever, but we we won't. We'll shut up now. It was great to have him on the show. And it's great to have you, listener, listening to the show. And if you like the show, you got to rate the show. You got to review the show. In fact, Phil, we just got a review that I wanted oh. to share. We got two recently that were really oh. great. And of course, I don't have those open. So will you please stall while I open them up? Hold on. <laughs> I can provide a, a short anecdote to fill this time, which you may feel free to cut out. But my dad watched Tenet on Netflix, which is on in the UK and Netflix. And as only my dad could say, I now finally understand all that bollocks that you and Liam are going on about with we live in a tw twilight That's world. That's kind of a review. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of a review. I'll take it. So shout out to my dad for keeping it real. Yeah, that rules. I'll, I'll, and we I'll, love I'll, Tenet, I'll, obviously. I'll keep it. Okay. Obviously. 
Here we go. We have two reviews. Let me share those with you. The first one is, it's from Lutz Dude via Apple Podcasts. Great work. Five stars. Nicely done deep dives into some of my favorite films. Keep up the great work, fellas. Thanks, Lutz Dude. You're Thank the man. you. Yeah, Thank it's really you. nice. That's, this, that's one is, great. this one is great. This one is from AI80. So I hope that does not, not AI, mean it's AI. Oh, no. <laughs> I love podcasts. We had to write our reviews. Podcast, good. <laughs> Very good. Five stars. Consistently entertaining. I don't tend to indulge in podcasts that regular skirt the 90-minute mark, but this is a very pleasant exception. Great banter, some great guests, too. Hopefully there are enough diehard ripoffs to sustain this baby for a decade at least. Thank you, AI80, and I hope you're not a robot. Thank you. Thank you. And there definitely is plenty more to come. There are a ton of... And they're going to keep showing up. Die hard. Uh, Plus, when hard when that DNA ends, we can do uh, we can do our tenant minute by minute deep dive. <laughs> Phil, are you want X these days? Yes. Um, <laughs> very very. Are you yeah. thinking of exiting? How are, how are you feeling about it? You know, it's so sad because I've just finally like I, I was never that involved with it, and now I've just met this amazing community of film fans, cinephiles, and like minded people just bantering about about all these movies that we love and. And then at the same time, it's rapidly turning into a bit of a garbage fire. But what's I'm your handle? There. If I wanted um, to, if I wanted to say send you a message, where, where yeah. would I do that? You could do that at Philip Gawthorne. Very simple. Just my Very name, simple. Philip with one L. Gawthorne. I'm with at an e. Liam G Billingham on Twitter. There's also a you can find me there. I'm also on Blue Sky, but I don't think anyone's actually on Blue Sky. But I am. It's my name. You can also follow Die Hard OAB to get updates on the show. That's both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, email us. We've gotten some great emails from at diehardoab at gmail.com. If you have thoughts on the show, you know we we'd be happy to answer questions about movies and thoughts on movies and things like that. So please. Please do email us at diehardoab at gmail.com and we will, we'll, you guys, we want to talk to you. We want to talk to you. And the biggest thing you can do for us is if you have a friend that likes action movies, tell them about the show. That's how we grow our audience. We're doing a somewhat niche thing here. Tell your friends about Die Hard on a blank, please. Next time on the show, Phil. It's this obscure, um, like, mumblecore independent movie called Speed. It's Die Hard on a Bus. Can you believe it? I can't we're, believe we're there. Made it here. Almost the quintessential Die Hard on a Blank movie. An absolute storming classic. We are going to get under the hood of that bus. Uh, much like <laughs> much like Keanu, we're going to get right up in there. These, these things really go off the rails when we try to do <laughs> The whole thing's off the rails. The whole Let's thing's just off the rails. It. Thanks, but everybody. We're doing speed. And doing join speed us next. for that next week. Looking forward to it. Bye, everybody. We'll be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast created and hosted by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co hosts and produces the show. Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Rate, review, follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your movie podcast-loving friends about Die Hard on a Blank. Special thanks to Suki Chu. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.